Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comfort Field. Good report the Comfort Field. Good report is a member of the Believe Podcast family. That's why three years later from the start of this podcast, it is still reads on your favorite podcast platform, Believe Good report that's spelled B-L-E-A-V, and I'm sure my guest with his penchant for wordplay will figure out something to do with that. Uh, not saying that he has to, but I just know that that's how his brain works. Um, and, well, maybe if I have people like him on more, I'll not worry about changing the name ever. But with that, Michigan's out of the way. Let's get to uh, this week's amazing guest, a return guest. Uh, one of my favorite comedians, uh, not only from New York, but from all around the country and pretty much around the world that, you know, tracks. So uh, he has a new album coming out and he's about to go to the Ember Fringe. So uh, this is an episode for all uh, listeners around the world. Please get up for Mike Kaplan, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. I am uh, so happy to return, and I will tell uh, everyone listening through Believe to uh, don't stop believing, you know? Just, yep. uh, yep. uh, you don't want to be a leave it to believer. You want to stick with, uh, I mean, I, if you're a fan of uh, Justin Bieber's as well, I, I try to get him on here. That'd be probably uh, right. a nice crossover. Right. It that that's when he returns from his mysterious rare illness, he's deciding to do comedy. Mm-hmm. But for now, uh, I'll I'll do it till he gets back. And cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, happy happy to be here. Happy to uh, thanks for having me to share about uh, the album from the past and the Edinburgh Fringe show to the future. So we're we got all almost all the times covered. All all the timelines covered for sure uh before we get into that how how are, how are things mike I, I think i had you on what is i mean two years ago 10 years ago time feels more fluid than it ever has at least in my lifetime mm-hmm. well i think i mean i'm pretty sure that i came on the podcast the last time i had an album coming out which was in may of 2020 so it was probably just about three years ago or give or take right uh, in infinity or so and uh so how have things been since then uh, not much nothing new um quarantine I, ended <laughs> oh yeah i definitely uh since then have started uh touring again and i did intend you know before the pandemic before we knew about it at all my plan was to go, return to the edinburgh fringe fest in 2020 i'd been there in 2018 and i was like i'll take a year off and develop this new show and then 2020 happened and i was like well i'll take another year off oh that's another that's also not quite yet and then uh it all kept piling up so i'm like you know five years later here i am uh with a, a show that i'm very happy to have been working on uh for the past several years because uh it's about uh, essentially among other things my relationship with my girlfriend who i've been living with uh and being with since uh, for the past six seven years and 
she is a character in the show and a co-creator of the show. And uh, so it's exciting to, you know, it was just me and her for a while. And right. now it's still me and her, but also uh, we go other places now. And there's other characters like yourself. Is that a roundabout way of saying that you're uh, you're in an open relationship? <laughs> No, in fact, I thank you for asking, and I'll I'll clarify that uh, no, there are other characters in our lives, but not in our romantic lives. I was once a person who uh, explored open relationships, had open relationships, and uh, this is one that I mean I don't want to give away the whole show, but my life it does now involve being in a monogamous relationship happily. So that is, I mean, the show ends with that being the case, and right. uh, at some point, uh, it will be you know recorded for posterity and out there, and I hope that that continues to be true. Uh, that my girlfriend and I are happily living together uh, yeah. for the rest. I would say not even just the rest of our lives, but beyond into. Uh, I mean, I'd be happy if we didn't die; it'd be great. Or if we have to die, which it seems like we might, uh, I'm not sure yet. But I would. I'd be happy for us to do it at the exact same time because it seems really sad to think about one of us living without the other one. Because so far, once we started living, once we started living at the same time as each other, knowing each other, we're like, yeah, let's let's keep doing this. So that's that's what we're up to. Wow, what what a what a modern, perhaps postmodern spin on Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Forget about the warring factions or whatever. Just like you want to die at the same time because you can't live without each other. Oh yeah, they that was where they got it. I mean, we're gonna definitely if either of us sees the other one and we're like, oh no, is it like is it uh, possible that they are dead? Like we're gonna make sure with like the technology is a lot better now, like medical science has advanced a great deal, you right. know. Yeah. But uh yeah, that's our that's our our hope is to uh die at either the same time or not at all. Those are I mean first not, I mean we're, you know you don't want to make a wish that uh, a trickster genie is going to take advantage of like we want I'd like for there to be no suffering in the world and only happiness for all sentient beings. If I'm going to make an official wish, I think happiness for all elimination of suffering for all but in the context of our relationship i mean i want that too i want right. uh joy and meaning and fulfillment uh for for us and also for all for you for your listeners like wh while i'm wishing like i've got i've got unlimited wish funds as far as i know sure yeah in in the in the imaginary future uh yeah there is all of those things uh they have yet to be disproven perhaps never to be disproven because they're consistently in the future and not in the present reality. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been learning a lot about Buddhism recently uh, from Instagram and bumper stickers like you do. A joke that I say. Uh, uh -huh. But truly, I have a good friend who is a practicing Buddhist. And we were actually just talking the other day about the idea that like in Buddhism, like that's sort of a Buddhist idea is that like bodhisattvas, you know, and Buddhas are folks who want there to be and are hope hopefully helping others as much as possible to eliminate suffering and the causes of suffering to create happiness and the causes of happiness, the roots of happiness. And 
I, essentially, like my understanding of enlightenment, which is, you know, one of the or nirvana at some point, I, I haven't gotten there as far as I know as yet. But my understanding is that it's when you, you know, you see the truth, you see through the illusion, you see what does cause suffering and thus it can eliminate it for you. And so but just the other day, my Buddhist friend Gus told me that I think I think I'm getting this right. And I, I'm not a Buddhist. And so I'm please like feel free to at me. Uh, but uh, there is no permanent self for you to at. So consider that. But the idea is that everyone eventually on a long enough timeline, every sentient being will become enlightened, will eliminate suffering, will attain, you know, the maximum amount of joy. If I understand correctly, just there will never be a time at which that is true for everyone. But because time will go on infinitely, potentially, and so it'll always be that there are Buddhas and people who aren't Buddhas and probably at a time a lot more people who aren't Buddhas but uh, we're working on it yeah that is a comforting thought to think however <laughs> would that would that like sort of disincentivize people from uh, eliminating suffering in the current present knowing oh, that like yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh it'll eventually happen so what do I got to do it now I mean, what a great question, a very human question. I resonate with it. I hear you. Also, you know, I don't know if this analogy will be apropos until I get to the end of it, but there's a, a Buddhist saying or a thing that the Buddha said once, I think, again, all disclaiming this might be from somewhere else, but the idea that like a bucket is not filled by the last drop. The bucket is not filled by the first drop. The bucket right. is filled by each drop and so and here's uh, i'm gonna a line of analogies there's a, a story i heard about a monk who was called to a king and the king said monk i hear you're very good with meditation i would love to meditate however as the king i am very busy so i would like for you to meditate for me and the monk says and which of course if you you know you're on the outside of this like that doesn't seem like it's possible that's not how it works a yeah, person can't meditate like you can't outsource your meditation but this monk a wise monk is like great I will meditate for you if, uh, here's the only thing is, I have to pee. So if you can pee for me, then I will meditate for you while you're doing that. And so hopefully making it clear, like we have to do the things for ourselves. Like there's, it doesn't help us. I mean, for the person who's like, I'll like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I'll meditate in the next life. I'll attain enlightenment when I'm dead. I'll get it later. Like I feel it's, it's in our own best interest to do our best to help ourselves and everyone else, you know, achieve uh, lower levels of suffering now. So, right. you know, it's, here's my brief impression of like a very absurd uh, version of what you said, which I, again, believe is reasonable, but it's like, well, why do I have to eliminate suffering for myself now? Can't I just keep being miserable? I'll get to it later. But uh, you can, and many do, but uh, I think, I think we're on our way. That's what I understand. Right. Absolutely. You know, I feel like the there I and you correct me if I'm wrong. I'm, I mean, I've dipped my toe perhaps just a little bit less into Buddhism than you have. But I think a core tenet is accepting that life is suffering and that that is like freeing in a way. Yes. The uh, the four noble truths in Buddhism. Yeah. Uh, 
the first one is that there is suffering that like that life here's the thing is i don't now i'm not correcting you because i don't know the exact correct thing to say in fact actually i'm going to pull up uh a thing that I sent to my my Buddhist friend Gus today, because on yeah. this very day, several years ago, uh, two years ago, March 21st, 2021, uh, I got an email from my friend discussing the three types of wisdom. And I, I'll brief, I'll just read one paragraph. Cool. He says, number one, uh, the wisdom of learning uh yes this is the one that i want yes the wisdom of learning or listening comes from engaging with teachings explanations presentations of materials and asking questions as necessary slash possible to make sure you understand clearly what are the claims that are being made it is when through that you develop clarity and conviction on what the claim is uh it is when oh it's when you develop clarity and conviction on what the claim the claim is for example the buddha did not say that everything is suffering he said that all contaminated phenomena are suffering and by contaminated phenomena he meant phenomena which are related to or derived from mental afflictions so that is a lot of the human experience a lot right. of the human experience is these afflictions that cause a lot of suffering fortunately there are three more noble truths after that first one, which are the causes of it, the the cessation of the suffering, and the path to the cessation of suffering, so that it is possible, according to this paradigm, for there to be life without suffering. I mean, for there to be certainly less suffering, and eventually in a human's life, I think becoming a Buddha means like, you know, you're not going to eliminate pain, but you may eliminate the suffering, which often compounds upon the pain. Right. But life is suffering is more catchy. Life is suffering is a catchy headline, 100%. And uh, unlike a lot of headlines, it does capture, you know, uh, maybe more, you know, it, it gets pretty close to uh, a lot of it. Yeah. In, with that in mind, whether it's life is suffering or the contaminated phenomena derived from mental afflictions is suffering, um, I think there's an attraction for comedians with that, because like, I feel like so much of what we focus on is um, kind of tapping suffering in various facets of life or our perspective for comedy. Because I know a lot of comedians that are uh, that entertain looking into Buddhism, identify as Buddhists or whatever, and and even people who I mean, it's kind of funny to me that you have a you have a Buddhist friend named Gus. It's not typically what you would. The first Buddhist that I ever met, his name was Tay, spelled T H E, and it was like sure. it's not the no, it's <laughs> Tay. Um, yeah, and uh, but yeah, do you feel that there's something like in like your comedic philosophy that kind of drove you towards Buddhism or a curiosity in Buddhism? That's a great question. And before I answer, uh, right after these messages from my email inbox, <laughs> did you know that because your email to me uh, is, it comes in as like the Comedy Bureau? Right. Uh, it's my email, I think, believes that if you were a person, your uh -huh. last name is Bureau, your middle uh -huh. name is Comedy, and your first name is The. So in my inbox, it, there is truly a back and forth between me and The, or Tay, <laughs> as it were. Uh -huh. uh, okay. So, but yeah, to answer your, your question, uh, sorry to have all that extra fun. Um, 
I, I do, th first of all, I do think that, like, I mean, of course, there's, like, Gary Shandling, I think, is, like, the first comedian I think of who, like, really embraced uh, a lot of Buddhist ideas. Uh, there's, you know, the HBO documentary that Dodapada did, the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling. And, and it's that, I mean, I think Buddhism is something that speaks to not only comedians, but humans, any human who looks into it. Like, I had a lot of misperceptions or misconceptions about Buddhism. <laughs> Uh, before I had a friend who had learned from, you know, like from the actual teachings of Buddhism, like there's ideas about it, like, oh, like we're all one. And uh, what, you know, we, we get some of the headlines without the context. And but it truly is like, you know, the Buddha was said to be maybe, you know, the first psychotherapist, somebody who examined his own mind and found ways to help himself suffer less that are potentially available to us all. I do think that comedy specifically, like not even just not my comedy necessarily, but comedy in general is something that often like I think Sondheim said that art is uh, people's way of trying to make uh, order out of chaos that, you know, the world seems chaotic and art, be it a poem or a joke or a song or a painting is like trying to take what flows through us or into us and be like this does this does this make sense does this make it better does this connect me with something or someone and like there's a a line from the prophet by khalil gibran that i like a lot that says the deeper that sorrow carves into your being the more joy you can contain and there's a song by the uh, i think it's toad the wet sprocket that's like <laughs> what a trio I love, uh, I think the song is called like Happy Buddha, maybe. Uh, uh -huh. it's, it's something Buddha. And the first lyrics are, uh, I think is life is suffering. Ha ha he he or he he ha ha. And I mean, there's so many things that, you know, you know my friend, your friend, Zach Sherwin, uh, yes. good, good friend who we sometimes when we share our problems with each other, share our challenges, we came up with, uh, which is helpful to do, mm -hmm. like to name, like the way that in Alcoholics Anonymous, mm -hmm. you know, people start by saying, my name is this and I am this, I am this. It's naming the problem, which does something to help if not take the power away from the problem completely, at least be the first step towards processing it and making your way through it. So Zach and I call that Rumpelstiltskinning, which, uh, you know, because that was the the sort of the point of that story as well. Like once you knew the name of the, the being, of the right. villain, that right. made his power dissipate. And so I think that comedy is doing that. Comedy is a kind of alchemy uh, like all art is a kind of alchemy or therapy or, you know, a lot of spiritual paths, like even just, you know, friendship or love or anything that, you know, involves like a sincere, you know, delving into one's experience and communicating it with another. Like I just, I've been enjoying this, uh, Swedish proverb. That's a uh, joy shared is a double joy. Sorrow shared is half a sorrow. Like, you know, if you're, if you're happy and you share it with a friend, then, then there's double the happiness. If you're sad and you share it with a friend, like it often can help, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact math, but it feels better to share. And I think that is what comedy is. So I think that uh, that is something that at the core is what drew me to comedy, that I wanted to connect with people, that I had things that I wanted to say that there are like I wasn't necessarily coming from like speaking of Gary Shandling, there is this beautiful uh, I, I think I saw it first. They've had conversations like this, like he and Jerry Seinfeld on, you know, comedians and cars. But there's in the Larry Sanders uh, 
the Larry Sanders like box set that I think I had at one point or watched somebody else's who had in like the not the bloopers, but like the outtakes, the things that weren't, you know, like in the 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 bonus features of the DVD. There's like a he's Shanling is sitting with Seinfeld and I'll do a paraphrase of their discussion where uh, Shanling is basically like, isn't the you know, not maybe this isn't universally so, but isn't so much of the best comedy coming from a place like that, a, a hole inside that we're trying to fill, that we're trying to express, that we're trying to get out, that there's this, there's this yearning, there's this pain, and that comedy, doing comedy is like the best way we have to express it and process it and share it. And, you know, and then Seinfeld says something like, isn't it possible that you just like doing comedy and that a guy does comedy because he loves doing comedy and you get better at doing comedy and so you keep doing comedy and that's where you get great comedy. Isn't that possible? And then Shandling says, uh, I hear rage. And <laughs> it's so beautiful because, yeah. you know, it's like that was a, a wonderful encapsulation of who they were. And like, you know, it's no, neither of them are wrong. Like, I think that in like, it seems like Seinfeld wins the battle of his expression, but then Shanling wins the war of, you know, his, his experience. Like they're both right to their own, uh, uh, about their own experience. But yeah, I love, I love that. I mean, I feel like when I started, I wasn't thinking about this at all. I was just like, I like talking. I, I say a thing and people laugh. That's what I like. And now I understanding, like looking back and being and like, oh, wow, that there is this, you know, this great power that comedy has, that art has, that any, right. you know, human right. communication has. Right. And I do think that, yeah, that the commonality with Buddhism is that Buddhism is also, you know, a, a tool, uh, you know, a, a practice, a system by, for, by which a person can examine their own conscious experience and then do their best to, you know, uh, share share this world and uh, decreasing of suffering and increasing of joy with others. Yeah, I think there there's a, I might be oversimplifying it here, but I think there's something it, that is unifying in comedy that like, you know, perhaps in a Buddhist sense makes people feel less alone um, and not that it never it, it no single joke solves like a world problem and and won't and that is not the inherent power of comedy that some people like to philosophically discuss but it offers relief you know uh and i think oh, oh, the, the sort of mo of buddhism or people being buddhist trying to eliminate suffering a lot of it is just like yes there is suffering or these um oh god i forgot what it was it was uh uh contaminated uh oh you had it right away but yeah, yeah absolutely yeah contaminated facets of like mental afflictions i think um yeah uh yeah that just sort of pointing them out in a comedic way is having the sorrow or uh alleviating it and so and that relief is is powerful and that i think is the power of comedy Absolutely. And I'll add these two things. One, I like that you said maybe I'm oversimplifying this. Like, I feel like my style of communication is sometimes undersimplifying. Um, and uh, already, even within itself, uh, you, there's already a word that works perfectly well for that, but complicating. Um, but I think undersimplifying also, uh, 
in another spiritual tradition, I believe it is the Talmud uh, in Judaism that says, uh, whoever saves a single life is considered by scripture to have saved the whole world. And so, you know, whoever laughs at a single joke, like whatever joy is created in a moment, like in some ways, the only moment that exists is now. So if in your conscious experience, you were sad and now you're laughing, you were anxious and now you're relieved. And, you know, if that is happening because of a comedian or if you are a comedian uh, helping somebody or an audience full of somebody's uh, have that experience. Yeah, I think there is something, you know, when I say there is something noble in it, you know, I don't I don't want to be. I feel like it's very wise of John Stewart and John Oliver to whenever they were asked about they'd be like, I am but a clown. I We are here doing a comedy show. Like right. clearly they're doing uh, meaningful work, important work, shedding light on things. But they are not saying like, we are here doing important work because that would, I think, uh, be a distraction from the important work that they're doing because the important work that they're doing is, you know, being a clown and shining their clown spotlight on clownish, you know, chaotic reality. Right, right. Even at the point where sometimes it feels like they're goading us and that they do there there is such like uh insightful points that they make that would start productive discussions but anytime they get blowback even from the other side most recently john oliver like took a, a big shot at a deep dive on ron DeSantis, and DeSantis called him irrelevant and john oliver being the most british he could be he was like of course i am I oh, agree. I loved it. I saw him on Seth Meyers uh, talking yeah. about it for a little bit. And yeah, like, I mean, it, it reminds me of uh, when, you know, what years ago when Jon Stewart went on the show Crossfire and it was, you know, Tucker Carlson and whoever else. And and he was like, you know, berating them for be for harming the world. And they're like, well, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm not claiming to be a journalist. He's like, if you are a journal, if you're claiming to be a journalist, which you are, then that brings with it responsibilities that you are not living up to. He's like, I mean, and at a certain point, I mean, that's not going to get you because that now, you know, who knows what Tucker Carlson today would be like if he's just like, OK, fine. Like, I feel like Alex Jones or his defenders have said like, oh, yeah, he's not. He's not telling the news. He's he's an entertainer, which by itself, you know, I don't that doesn't get anyone off the hook from yeah. uh, responsible contributions or the reverse to right. the world. But right. certainly best case scenario is you do what John Stewart or John Oliver does. You try to help under the guise of like, I feel like it's right from Taoism, like the. The idea that, you know, if you're like, I I am important, like the they basically say like a funny thing I saw about Lao Tzu, who, you know, is the person who is, you know, credited with sharing, like writing down the tenets of Taoism. Mm -hmm. um, they like he some there's like a Chinese philosopher or comedian who was basically like, oh, yeah, they he one of the things Lao Tzu said is like he who speaks does not know he who knows does not speak and it's like and then he wrote a 500 page book so what are we to take from that you know uh or whatever it was and but essentially he was asked like hey can can you write down some of the things that you were uh, that, that help you live but yeah there's there's no one perfect way forward 
there's no one size fits all. Like this is the way uh, to, you know, to either do comedy or help the world. But we all can do, you know, whatever seems like the rightest, kindest, you know, most meaningful, funniest, uh, most substantial thing that we can do in our life or in our comedy or in our uh in the world and uh yeah so i like those guys i forget what the question was <laughs> um me too a little bit but i i was wondering though so oh yes i remember it's that the what we're doing is noble what com comedians are noble heroes modern day knights slaying dragons of sadness uh but that if you say that then people are would rightly be like um you're not a firefighter you're not a doctor absolutely right. but we right. are helping the firefighters and doctors laugh after their stressful days at work yeah Maybe not philosopher kings, but um, <laughs> you know, uh, court jesters, yeah, court jesters with an agenda with uh, in like parentheses in very small font. Yeah, philosopher yeah. court jesters. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, how many hours of comedy have you released at this point? Uh, like thank you for asking. So, uh. Vegan Mind Meld was my first one in 2010, uh, then followed by Meat Robot a couple years later, my special Small Dork and Handsome, uh, there, which came out in 2014, uh, then No Kidding, and then uh, this most recent album uh, that is called Live In Between Albums, I recorded in 2017, released it to only Sirius Satellite Radio in 2018, where it has been living for the past several years, uh, exclusively, and now being widely released to everyone. Uh, and then AKA is the album that I came on last time to talk about. Uh, so I've released now six uh approximately six hours of comedy right. and i did also record another album in denver last year called uh -huh. live in between albums Two: rocky right. mountain high and uh -huh. that that one will uh play exclusively on sirius for uh however long it does uh right. so there i have recorded seven comedy albums and released six widely uh, I mean, you would have to listen to live in live in between albums to get what I'm about to say. But why not two live two between, huh? Ha ha! That you know because it was too long since uh, <laughs> I had recorded that one, and I didn't think of it. But that would have oh man, maybe maybe the next one will be three live three between. Yeah, or like <laughs> according to the logic of the joke, like just three between. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or no, this one would be li live in between albums, Tokyo Drift, and then uh, the four. Yeah. Oh man, that would have been that would have been a great uh, twenty year joke in the making. Uh, I I love it. Maybe that'll I'll talk about that on the next on the third installation uh, of live in between albums. But uh, <laughs> that what a, what a, what a wonderful thank you for listening to it and for demonstrating in a fun way uh, that how you enjoyed it. Absolutely. Now, I do want so between seven hours of comedy, since we're talking so much about um, enlightenment and Buddhism, do you feel like you have evolved in or in a way where you're getting closer to enlightenment in every hour of comedy? Or is <laughs> that even a thought in your mind? Uh, I mean, I did. Here's a thing that I thought once, like, I do think that AKA the most recent, uh, you know, album that I've recorded and released uh, 
as opposed to this one, which I had recorded but not released till now. So, it, AKA is the album that I felt like has come the closest to me having joke. It's full of jokes that I care about, about things that I care about, which I think is, you know, more of, I maybe more of a help to, the, here's the thing is like, I have some people every once in a while write me and say like, hey, one of your albums really got me through a tough time. Like I, I was struggling with this or that. And I just want to let you know that just laughing, even at, even at albums that like, I'm like, you know, from years ago that weren't, I wasn't trying to have them, you know, just be like a statement, you know, but, uh, so I feel like a joke that I thought of is like, I'm like, well, I wasn't trying to like help in the beginning, but now I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if my albums could be like full of jokes that I love that are funny first and foremost, and that also help in some way. And like, Maybe I'll make a whole album about helping. And then maybe eventually I'll be so busy helping that I won't have time to do albums anymore. So I feel like ultimately, uh, perhaps when I, I don't, I don't know what it'll be like. Uh, I don't know if I'll become enlightened in this lifetime, but I, I do hope, uh, you know, whenever, whenever it happens, uh, I don't know if I'll still be putting out comedy albums. Like, cause I do think some of people are like, well, I'm worried. What if, uh, what if you, you're not funny anymore? Once you, I'm like, well, don't worry. At that point, I'll be, that'll be cool. I'll be, if I have to retire because I've become a divinely enlightened Buddha master, uh, then, but I think, I think I've got a few other comedy albums in me until then. Uh-huh. And I, I'll say that I hope so. I hope yeah. that they are constantly, uh, I hope that I'm continuing to learn and grow and evolve and improve as a human being and a comedian and that there's some intertwining interaction between uh, those concepts so that uh, I, as long as I am continuing to, I hope they, re- maybe it's like an asymptote, a limit that'll never reach while I'm alive. But it's like, oh, this one's even closer. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, a few things. I feel like there is a definite sort of arc in your uh, evolution as an artist and uh, enlightenment as a human being, purely by virtue of the fact that there was a point in those seven hours where you had not taken ayahuasca, and then there was a point where you had taken ayahuasca. So that changed. It surely did. And I mean, it was during an ayahuasca ceremony that the idea to like do the an an album themed about love and compassion and not murdering as aka is like that it was born in in one of those meditations so yeah i don't know who i would have been without those psychedelic experiences but i do know i i know a little bit of who i am with them right Right. also I i would contend that just kind of like we were saying that um comedies like power comes from not sort of explicitly saying that we're we're important but just doing the work and then letting it speak for itself i think there's something very human about like maybe there is no point at which you reach full enlightenment um that you can claim but perhaps you are enlightened in that you know that you're not oh sure yeah like maybe it's like little levels of it like it it certainly does seem like if not for sure most of the people i know who seem the wisest are not the people that are like i'm the wisest yeah yeah definitely people i people whose opinion i take seriously never claim to know the one true religion 
Oh yeah. The most of the people, most of the, like the great spiritual teachers that I've, you know, read from and learned about like the Dalai Lama, I think, and the Dolly Parton, you know, you're all your famous Dollies. Uh -huh. I feel like they're, they're all like, you know, just fingers pointing at the same moon or, you know, paths up the same mountain. Like, you know, right. the Dalai Lama has said, Jews be Jews, Buddhists be Buddhists. And I was like, cool, that makes this Jew want to be Buddhist, you know? Yeah. Like, of course, there are great truths to be gleaned from science, from psychedelics, from spirituality, from almost any, you know, human path. I will add a note that uh, wasn't Salvador Dali uh, fascist? <laughs> oh yeah, not all the Dalis. Yeah, <laughs> just just the two that I mentioned, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's probably got to be some sort of cartoon character named dolly that we're forgetting that is uh also good oh sure yeah i'll search for a third good one <laughs> yeah as the rule of threes is uh unshakable in comedy yes 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 it is um so live in between albums was uh released in 2017 how do you have it, like how do you feel it sort of engages with life in 2023 um considering uh so much happened and sure. it is life is different and i in listening to it there's a certain innocence that um you don't have to talk about masks or covid or you know uh, uh the possibility of uh, a, a race war or whatever you know yeah thank you for asking so like I think, like I said already, but I've also, uh, it's hard, you know, it's funny. I, I said earlier, uh, something that I'm going to amend briefly. I said like, you know, there was a time, uh, when I didn't know, you know, I did, I, I think I said, I didn't know who I would have been without psychedelics. And now I don't know exactly who I am with them as well. But, uh, that's what I would say. I was like, I know a little more, you know, we always, always gaining a little, but my goal, so I'm like, I don't even remember what I said moments ago, but like the, this, uh, the whole purpose of this album, the whole function of this album was to exist in, in a space between these other two themed albums that I had created. Like the one uh, that I recorded in 2016, No Kidding, uh, which was about not wanting children. And the one uh, in 2020 that came out that was uh, about this about not murdering so one you know about not bringing more people into the world and one about not taking anyone out of the world so right. just maintaining sort of a, an equilibrium of the number of people that are there right. uh but so those were you know themes that i cared about topics that i'm like oh yeah this is this is the first these are the first two albums that i was really like oh yeah like i have things going on inside me that i want to not not that i hadn't done that earlier but i had never dedicated a whole album to exploring you know the threads uh trying to you know thread together one tapestry out of a whole idea like you know my first albums had some jokes about my you know my social uh you know views on you know like on veganism on you know open relationships on atheism on psychedelics uh but it was uh, there were also things just you know there was absurdism there was like you know a lot of wordplay there was you know jokes about pop culture jokes there were jokes about my relationships but it was not it was all basically like you know 
as as many comedians uh, I've talked to will attest, like your when you're starting out doing comedy. When I was starting out doing comedy, I didn't I didn't know what I was talking about. I was just like, does something get a laugh? Uh, and so I just my first album, my first several albums were just like the alb the jokes in order that they got the most laughs. I'm like right. the most laughs at the end, you know, uh -huh. good laughs at the beginning, and try to keep laughs going all through them. Yeah, and. And I really didn't know, like, I, I was, I didn't know that I could, because maybe at the time I couldn't, but eventually I was like, maybe I can, like, have a whole hour of comedy that is about something, like, uh, that is about something that I care about, you know, without sacrificing quality, without sacrificing humor. But in the meantime, I did continue to write jokes that didn't fit those themes. And I'm like, well, these are fun. Uh, maybe I'll get to these eventually. But I, I was more focused on like getting, you know, the hours that I cared about, uh, the topics out there more. But just that's why in the middle, I'm mean, like, that's why I called it live in between albums uh, that I recorded in 2017 at this wonderful show that no longer exists because the venue, uh, sadly went out of business during COVID. It was called great Scott. And the show was called the gas. And my friend Rob Crean ran it. And for several years, I would just go back to Boston where it was, uh, every, many times a year, at least like three, four times a year, I would go and headline this show that he had every Friday night. And that was where I just did like most, a lot of my other albums, like I've recorded, four shows two shows you know sometimes five six like as many as were possible at a club this was just one show one night and uh you know we did so some editing but for the most part it was just from beginning to end it was just a really fun in i had like a list of jokes that i wanted to tell that i would refer to every once in a while i think i refer to my referring to it at one point on the album but uh, which I also, you know, Mitch Hedberg was one of my first favorite comedians, and I he at on one of his CDs ref, refers to like these are the CD jokes, you know, and he's uh -huh. looking at a list of what he wants to get because you know for an audio medium, right. like, would you rather have all of the jokes that the comedian wants to tell in in the order and way that they want to, or would you rather have them forget some? Uh, <laughs> and so this was, you know, not a set that I was touring with. Uh, extensively it was just like truly a bunch of this is an analogy i thought of earlier today on a different podcast and i share it so it comes to you uh, and inclusive the opposite of an exclusive uh, uh you heard it here second um but that i went to a summer camp when i was a teenager and during this i just during the school year i just moved schools my parents had moved i didn't know a lot of the kids that i like went to school with so i was a little shy and introverted and hadn't really ever met anyone like that i didn't just grow up with and so i but at summer camp i it felt like everyone there was like me it felt like everyone was an artsy weirdo like a misfit outcast and so it felt like the the show the the, the camp was like full of kids who didn't belong anywhere who thus belonged here by virtue of that if you don't belong somewhere you belong here and i feel like stand-up comedy is like that and you know lots of artistic communities are like that as an adult and hopefully for kids but i feel like that's what this you know that's more meaningful than what i'm about to say perhaps but i feel like there's a parallel to like the jokes on this album were all jokes that didn't fit anywhere these are all jokes that didn't fit in with that hour or that hour but i'm like but these are all meaningful jokes these are all jokes i care about these are all jokes that i think are funny and deserve to be heard by people and so i recorded it 
and I think by virtue of the fact that if a joke was, you know, more meaningful in a specific way, then it it wouldn't have fit on that album. Like the the meaning was that they were all just for the most part pure joy, pure things that like that sounded fun to me that were fun to just, you know, roll off my tongue and, you know, into audiences brains. So I think that that uh, and I, I did also, I mean, so to answer your question in a specific way, I did also record last year live in between albums too, which I feel, you know, happened in 20, I recorded it in 2022 post all the stuff that you mentioned or mid all the stuff that you mentioned. There are still so many challenges in society, the world, you know, uh, medically, uh, emotionally, physically, and also like, I do love that, you know, there's, I think there's not just two ways for a comedian to be and that a lot of comedians do uh, one or both or some measure of these uh, combined, but that there's, you know, there's a kind of comedian that's like Maria Bamford or Kamau Bell or Aparna or Lenny Bruce or Carlin. I mean, I guess Carlin's a great example of one that does both of these things, but like, the, the person who is either, you know, speaking truth to power or sharing something so personal that it becomes political, like Maria Bamford, not a political comedian, but she talks about her experiences with mental health in a way that's I think like she could testify in front of Congress and get things done and that right. people listen to her and their lives are changed for the better because they don't feel as alone with their struggles that she's making, you know, and then there's on the other end of the spectrum, which is not even a spectrum, let's say, because also I'll, I'll bring up like Brian Regan, a comedian who you could go see and just like forget your troubles. Like there's some people you go to see and they're going to talk about your troubles and they're going to engage with it in a fun way to be like, wasn't this horrible? And now we're going to laugh at it. Like Sarah Silverman, another great example of both. But Brian Regan even, I think, is both now because he, in his most recent special that I've seen, talked about his uh, having OCD. And like, I think that that was also meaningful and, you know, personal in a way that so much of his comedy hasn't been because he's been a guy that like the doctors and firefighters can go see and be like, your grandmother can go, your baby can go. And like that, that's a valuable thing in comedy to yeah. offer just like a release, a relief and be like, oh yeah, wonderful. And then also, of course, your Doug Stanhopes, your Mark Marins, your people delving into all the rest of it, like that's valuable as well. And so I, I love that, you know, some of my comedy is uh, talking about the things that I care deeply about. And like, I've had people tell me that they heard my comedy and listened to my jokes about being vegan. And they're like, that makes sense. I'm going to be vegan or or anything else like that. And then also it's wonderful when people are just like your joke, your silly jokes make me laugh. And it's like a fun inside joke with my girlfriend or my partner or whoever that like that we listen to whenever we take a long car ride and we just just laugh. So I love that I, I have been able to, you know, do what I want in sort of both of and they don't have to be separate. Uh, like there can be I think Nick Vatterat is another wonderful, great example of like the silliest stuff. And also like he's got great jokes about, you know, gun control and, you know, and topics that like are have real relevance in society, in addition to just being the an absurd weirdo genius that I love no matter what he's saying. And so 
I think the fact that I was able to do one live in between albums that is full of, you know, just joyful absurdity in 2017 and another one in 2022, I think there's there's a perhaps, if not a need for it, a desire for it. I think there's a demand for silliness all the time. And maybe even at times when things are the toughest, some people are like, yeah, I want to just, I want to check out of this for a moment and check into this. So, right. yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean... That you know, it's funny. They, I mean, it's all all of that spectrum to use that word uh, yeah. of comedy. Uh, it's the goal is the same, but it's just coming from a different sort of avenue. You know, the live in between albums, you had an analogy of like you going to a camper weirdos. What it made me think of is, um, and I should probably check on this, I don't know how factually true it is but my dad who uh as a, a hobby loves reading historical primary texts fun guy uh, <laughs> um and he has told me that um there are texts primary texts written by monks i think in europe in western europe that um there they have found essentially doodles in the margins that they were like that what they were writing was so sort of heavy and uh you know uh very rigid and serious that they just like oh and it, you know you had to write it out by hand in this very ornate calligraphy but they just had some fun for just them and just drew some stuff in the margins that had nothing to do with whatever they were writing Oh yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I love I love hearing it. I would love to hear from, you know, the primary source of your father when you have that op opportunity. I mean, I'll also add like, you know, I watched let's say like Chris Rock's newest special, you know, that just was streaming live on Netflix. And like he's a guy who I think of as, you know, historically has has done some really, you know, meaningful joke work on race for example and i think that there was some of that in this and there were also very there was i feel like there was a lot of seesawing back and forth between every once in a while it was just silliness and oh, yeah. so i do think that that's i mean it's hard to imagine a comedian who if you're a comedian who's just serious then i don't know if you're a comedian but i do think i think carlin is a wonderful example like i said of there's at least I, I remember thinking like there's at least three things that he does like one of them is like you know yelling at the authority yelling at the oppressive systems in ways that sometimes maybe even aren't funny you know sometimes right. they're more just poetic and cathartic right. uh and often there are jokes and they are funny but like it seems like in some ways he doesn't even care i mean i'm sure he does care about uh what he's doing and what he's saying but it sometimes seems like he cares more about the topic than even whether the audience laughs, you know? And and then there's like, you know, some of his stuff is like silly wordplay. And then some of it is just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I forget if, I forget the, I don't know who it was that like pointed out the sort of trifecta of like the three things that he does. I'm like, is one of them like gross stuff? Like starting, you know, uh, starting a set just about, you know, like pussy farts, you know, uh, but Maybe it is only I'll say I'll say for now, there's at least two things that George Carlin does uh, that I can point to. One of them is like taking on like the seriousness of the world and the harms that are caused in it by the more powerful to the less powerful. And then also there's just the like the absurd delight he takes in, you know, uh, in language and and play. It's very playful. So 
I think that's like, I mean, perhaps one of the reasons that he is like so often quoted as like the uh, one of the most influential or a lot of people's favorite comedians, because for him, there's kind of something for everyone. Yeah, there's eras of Carlin, which I don't know that a lot of comedians can even like claim to. Um, yeah, the, totally. You know, he did the sort of weatherman character and then, yeah. you know, a lot of picking apart the English language. And then when he was made fun of uh, by, I believe, SCTV. He was yeah, like, it was oh, uh, Rick Moranis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, OK, I, I got to talk about the real stuff now. Um, yeah, that yeah. that is I just saw that story like, you know, in the past couple months that Rick Rick Moranis was like, yeah, uh, I guess I guess I helped Carlin uh, do different things. Right, uh, right. It's it's so it's fascinating. Uh, what a another sort of testament to the beauty and power of comedy, because right. Rick Moranis was just like, I'll just. I'll just pretend to be Carlin for a minute. That'll be pretty funny, right? And like, right. I don't think he was intending to change the course of a man's entire career. Yeah, I mean, but that happens. You know, um, Miles Davis, before he made Bitches Brew, um, you know, we like to think of that image of Miles Davis as like birth of the cool in a suit, and he's very sort of just low key. Apparently, he saw Hendrix in concert. And was like, I want that. And then he made huh. Bitches Brew. Wow. I mean, that's a beautiful thing that, like, sometimes when a comedian's starting out, you know, if you've only li if you've listened to a lot of Mitch Hedberg, you might start sounding like Mitch Hedberg. And then hopefully you f discover your own voice. Right. And also, I've heard stories of comedians that, like, if you're a comedian and you watch somebody do music in a completely different genre and different art form and you're like oh i'm going to take i'm going to do a little frank zappa in my comedy you know like there's no way that somebody could be like hey that stand up comedy is frank zappa's music you know right right and so even like obviously jimi hendrix and you know miles davis are both musicians but clearly uh at least initially coming from completely different uh different genres different perspectives and like it's a really funny, you know, uh, it's a really cool thing that you can, that a per anyone can do. If you look at someone who's doing something as far from what you're doing as possible and then do what your version of that is, what you think they're doing, you're probably not going to be them. Like Miles Davis didn't become Jimi Hendrix. He no. just became something cool and new. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, Mike, do you want to do some comedy news? I'd love to do some comedy news. I think I want to start off. This is a quick item. Um, Netflix uh, has just announced um, some of their latest specials they have on the docket. Uh, Taylor Tomlinson, who has released several specials at Netflix at this point, has just agreed to release her next two. Um, and I mean, just as something I know, she's about to play the Pantages Theater here in L.A., and to my knowledge, at least in my sort of uh, tenure in comedy, two only two other comedians I've ever known to play the Pantages because it's kind of a big venue. It's hard to sell out in Los Angeles. Uh, Seinfeld and Sebastian Maniscalco. 
my goodness yeah uh, ve- very happy for taylor she is uh she is a powerhouse yes and definitely on the side of things where uh pointing out her own pain to make people feel less alone oh yeah i mean it's so it's really something like whenever I, she's so like accessible like you it's seeming seemingly i mean you know i i can't speak for everyone in the universe but it's just like clearly she is beloved and also like if she wasn't as famous and successful as she was i feel like the only thing that's keeping her from being a comics comic is popularity (laughs) i mean i do feel like that term gets blurrier and blurrier with like uh the presence of not only uh, like a podcast like this but so many podcasts about comedy or that are comedy that people sort of um consume and digest and there are these books and documentaries and it's not such a insidery thing anymore you know oh yeah like yeah there's a oh oh go on oh no i was just gonna say yeah it, i'm happy for you to continue but just the it used to be and maybe some people still think that like to be popular you must dumb down your you know your material or water it down to be more marketable or more have more mass appeal but it's really beautiful to see some people that don't seem to be doing that and yet still are attaining mass appeal right i mean i feel like marin's latest special is a testament to that i mean he calls it from bleak to dark oh yeah and arguably it is his technically his darkest special but market is most vulnerable because Oh yeah, it's it's beautiful and it and it's very playful within the grief discussion in the yeah. middle. Like it's it's really delightful. Do you know why I, I saw him on to the Tonight Show telling Fallon where he got the phrase from Bleak to Dark? Oh yeah, I saw that story. It's great. It, it's it's so fun. Uh because I mean, dark is better than bleak. You know, you wanna you wanna get from bleak to dark if you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um yeah, I I think that that, I mean, especially with the way of the world and I, I maybe coinciding with mental health being more a, a thing that people are conscious of and care about that, like, it's not so niche or a comics comic thing to be dark or even, I mean, I find it weird. I mean, I granted, I'm not the best sort, sort of uh, person to gauge this off of, but like a lot of people who are labeled as dark comics i don't think are even dark oh yeah you know i was just having a conversation with my girlfriend uh in the past couple months about my sort of like i don't usually use the word dark as in like because i mean it's it's relative number one because i think that usually like i think there's you know there's kind of like your your edgelord comedians who are bringing up you know maybe on purpose like shocking controversial topics without depth you know just because they know that it will get a reaction let's say like i think there's wonderful comedians who i think a lot of people might call dark like like a stanhope or something that are like when he was talking about his mother's like you know ending her life like which is i think one of the most beautiful pieces of stand-up comedy or art of any kind ever like a lot of people just i think see the topic of death and they're like oh and give it the headline of dark and i think that that 
to me does a disservice to like the nuance and depth that often uh, can a company and often does a company, right. uh, you know, a comedian's delving into subjects that people might feel uncomfortable about because our society doesn't like talk about grief as much. It's getting better, but like, you know, it used to be, you know, like, like Mike Birbiglia's like one of his earliest specials, you know, kind of ends with, uh, I think there's a theme of his parents being like, don't tell anyone like that, you know, painful things happen. Painful things are a part of life, but like, you don't want to like, you don't want to bum people out. You want right. to, you know, and so sometimes people see also if you have a set, you know, where you talk about meaningfully about like cancer or death or a topic that could under certain circumstances, quote unquote, bum people out. It seems like sometimes people think that comedians are making light of a topic rather than shining light on a topic, because I would say that like. Marin's most recent special specifically, I wouldn't call it dark at all. Like, cause I think, I think he was like illuminating. I think right. he was shining, you know, a candle in the darkness uh, of grief. And I read something recently. It's like a candle, you know, like if there's darkness completely, a tiny candle can like provide light to an entire room. Right. And I think that is what, you know, some of the best comedy that is often called quote unquote dark is doing so i feel like it's often a misnomer yeah absolutely and i mean that's sometimes when there is no other relief to be had at least if you can share a laugh with that tiny candle um that's just something you know i i think i brought it up on the pod before larry david got in trouble in an snl monologue for saying like you know that people were joking in the camps but not only did that have to be true for what people went through and just you know like they had nothing else there was no other hope there was sort of a very visceral idea that they were going to die very soon but um there's evidence of that <laughs> yeah, yeah oh yeah uh go on <laughs> Oh, or, that, I, I mean, there. I mean, I saw a show just the month before, um, from uh, Simon Helberg's dad about how his dad met his wife in the camps. Like they, they, they were they like flirted in the camps. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it makes complete sense. Also, uh, I'm just taking a brief note that I want a new. I'm I'm gonna have a podcast or a comedy album or a special eventually called from bleak to dork and <laughs> uh maybe i'll change the bleak as well but uh i think that you know larry david the idea of a comedian getting in trouble it's like uh, these are all again like headlines that where the nuance is is lost because the whole story that i would say is like like i have some jokes about hitler that like one this is i say this on stage now like i went on conan and i had a whole set about the concept of you know going back in time and killing hitler yeah and well, i'd say one of the best versions of that joke i really appreciate it yeah and and i i i now say you know like to be clear i'm anti-hitler just want to let everyone know like right. that's that's the context that this jew is coming from right. and also the day after this is a 
I'm paraphrasing, but this is approximately what happened. My grandmother, who at the time was probably in her 80s, uh, she told me, I watched your Conan set. And I was like, what did you think about it? And she said, none of my friends liked it. And I said, <laughs> but how about you? And she said, I love you. And, <laughs> and I truly think that uh, it make it makes sense. I'm not gonna try to tell people who lived through the Holocaust that they must find my jokes about the Holocaust funny, even if I think we would agree on the major points of like whether we want another Holocaust or not. But just that there can be so much pain, you know, so much trauma, so much suffering possible, even in just the evoking of a topic that I understand. Like I can understand both like Larry David is funny. His joke was funny and meaningful and like, and he's allowed to tell it. He has the right to tell it. And I think there's an audience for it. And also sometimes people hear your jokes that aren't your audience. And it doesn't mean that you're wrong for telling it or they're wrong for not liking it. It's just like, yeah, maybe they're not going to come see him at the Pantages. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is where I feel like I I personally believe there is no such thing as an actual ever expanding bubble multiverse. However, I think it's helpful to think of life and perspectives in the world in that uh, as a multiverse of everyone is living in their own universe and you're kind of colliding into it when you go out into the world and thinking that, oh, well, everyone every single person has their own individual experiences and things that they carry with them. And you don't know what they are, but that's where they're coming from. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, so on that next news item, I'd be curious what you think about this. So uh, Xi Jinping, China's uh, president, and I guess I, I, you should use president in quotation marks because I feel like it's not really uh, enacting it the way that oh, it was originally sure. intending. Um yeah, he has sort of uh, effectively banned images of Winnie the Pooh, the popular children's uh, illustrated character, uh, because apparently that has been used to make fun of Xi Jinping. So there is no such thing uh, as Winnie the Pooh uh, on the Chinese version of the Internet. Um, and as such, there was a, a release of a, a really weird cultural artifact, I guess, of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which uh, apparently, because Winnie the Pooh has become public domain as yep. uh, as a thing, uh, so, some cheeky people decided to make a, a gritty horror movie based off of the aftermath of Christopher Robbins leaving the forest. Um, and that was set to be released in Hong Kong, but uh, the, the release has been nixed, uh, presumably because Xi uh, does not want another Winnie the Pooh uh, it like mentioned to make another round of this happen. And um, I mean, is there, will there ever be, and when, if that will ever happen, uh, be a, a sort of emperor's uh, close moment uh, for G? I mean, like if you can't take a joke so that I arguably isn't that even bad, uh, what, right do you have to be like the leader of a billion people uh a fun 
a fun topic, a fun question. Sincerely, I mean, the shortest answer that I can give, uh, I've learned from uh, the Dalai Lama once was asked a question, and his answer was, that's a very good question. And the answer is simple. I don't know. And so that's my, sh my short answer is I don't know, but I'm not as wise as the Dalai Lama yet. So I will say more. Uh, and I'll say... Like, I mean, I agree with you. It, it on one level doesn't make sense. I mean, on another, I could understand like not wanting there to be jokes at your expense, but I, I think that it's, you know, probably like a whack-a-mole situation. Like, you know, the way that on TikTok, if you put captions with certain words, then the algorithm will be less likely to show them to people. Like, so instead of writing the word sex, people are writing S-E-G-G-S or using different emojis, you know, to let to let people know. So people can communicate. They're like, oh, well, don't, don't use, and maybe then the algorithm will learn. Well, that's what that means. And then there'll be another one. Or like it used to be that, you know, certain words, like, you know, idiot used to mean uh, it was like a medical term that meant somebody, you know, who had a certain IQ or a certain developmental disabilities. And then we're like, no, we don't want people, we don't want to use that word. And it switched to another one and it switched to another one. And like the root problem is not the word, but the, the source, the, the meaning, the, you know, the, the willingness that some people have to uh be harmful or to right. use harmful language to want to hurt people's feelings right uh and i'm not saying that i think that but i think that's what's happening here this guy's like okay so if we get rid of winnie the pooh then people will love me like clearly people will find a new way uh an underground way a secretive way right. an allowable way to make fun of the powerful man who is in charge yeah. which like yeah hey you're all you're already in charge you're already a powerful man like uh -huh. Hopefully, I feel like, you know, Obama, what a wonderful, like, he could take a joke, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, Joe Biden seems like he's not too upset. Uh, he's not going on a rampage uh, when people are mocking him, uh, which they are doing pretty pretty extensively uh, all the time in various ways. Like, yeah, I mean, it it definitely makes sense for if you are a leader to know that, like, I mean, I feel like it kind of goes back to the John Stewart, John Oliver thing. Like, if you're like, I'm in charge, I'm doing something important. But like, that is in a way as close to objectively laughable as like, you're a human animal just like us. Like, we are in some ways all equal, all the same, all one. And like, it's kind of a funny thing to be like, you're the, ch you're the boss and I'm the employee. Like you're the, this one, I'm the, that one. And that so much suffering comes in when people maybe attach too much meaning to their costumes, too much meaning to their titles, to their flags, you know, sometimes literally and sometimes just metaphorically right. be like, Oh, you're from this place. That must mean this about you. Why don't you get to know me? Oh, you were, you're, you're this age, you're this demographic, you're this, this, you're this, that you're you know uh so yeah i think uh i'm with you i think that uh winnie the pooh should exist in china <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it ties in a lot of things that we were saying uh the proverb you quoted about those that speak do not know those that do know do not speak oh yeah and, yeah and i mean i think on a very elementary level if you're getting bullied verbally you can take a lot of power that away if you just don't give it any power. 
Oh, yeah. Or even more so, I thought of this earlier, and I'm glad it's coming back up. Do like Eminem and 8 Mile. Like, you know, you can't say that about me. I'll say that about me. And then yeah. take away. It, it's kind of like a skinning thing as well. That like, if you're saying, if you're owning all the things that are quote unquote, you know, flawed or negative or not perfect about you, then what can your enemy do? Like, he should go as Winnie the Pooh for Halloween or every day or whatever. Yeah. He should dress up like Winnie the Pooh and really take the wind out of their sails. Right. And what what a great optics opportunity for Chinese diplomacy. If Xi Jinping, the leader of like probably 1.2 billion people, came out in a public conference and addressed as Winnie the Pooh. It would be so funny. And yeah. it would be really like, yeah, I, I really, that's, I mean, I don't know if he's asking me for advice, but I, sure. that's what I would do. Right, right. Yeah, for all all the anxiety that every decision of China like gives everybody in the world, whether it's with Taiwan or Russia or India, if you just dressed up, I mean, I think that was kind of the thinking a little bit behind Boris Johnson having fucked up hair all the time, is that it made him seem not so I'm important. Yeah, I guess now, you know, I don't want to give you know helpful advice to an authoritarian authoritarian leader sure. to help them rule with uh, like oh hey if you dressed up like winnie the pooh your fist could be even more iron like you know yeah 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 absolutely absolutely well but, yeah uh, <laughs> amending napoleon you, you ever hear that quote about napoleon if i had enough ribbon i can rule the world mm, i haven't heard that yeah i mean the idea if you just like uh reward people they'll do what you want um ah, but wonderful <laughs> i mean there's a, in, yeah there's a ceiling to it you know but oh I yes mean, yeah for sure but if you you'll, had you'll eventually yeah, get people complaining be like oh a participation ribbon i get it yeah yeah well if we all have uh participation ribbons what does it mean does it yeah. have any value anymore if we all have enough food and water and shelter, then what is the value of food and water and shelter? Yeah. I was thinking about that earlier when you said you wish for happiness for everybody. I think with that, that would be great, but there would have to be sort of like, you know, yeah. mandatory educational documentary series to remind us where we came from to make like, okay, this is in contrast, this is how we define happiness. Oh, yeah. It's uh, I mean, I'm using the definition of happiness that I learned from Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist monk, which is uh, there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. And uh, but yeah, probably documentaries will be important and necessary and helpful. But also uh -huh. we're, we're all we're all coming from different places and we're working on ourselves in the world, like from a different perspective. And we're all doing the best that we can. And uh, there's a, one final uh, quote from a Buddhist master, Shunryu Suzuki, that I love. He says uh, to his students and to everyone, I think he says, you are all perfect just as you are, and you could stand some improvement. Mm -hmm. I wonder if happiness is the way is how the Mandalorian as the series will end. Ha! Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope so, too. So... I, I guess I would love to finish off and thank you so much for your time today and always, always being uh, not only a time, I think a, a, a big candle. Uh, ha, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
looking forward to Edinburgh. Um, what what would you like to say about this upcoming hour and uh, and where you are as a person in bringing it to audiences, hopefully outside of Edinburgh after you go? Sure. Well, so this hour is called Imperfect, and uh, I started working on it. So I recorded the album, AKA, in 2019 and started working on this hour probably around then or give or take a year, like a little before, a little after. And so this album is at least, you know, I would I'd say at least four years in the making so far. And it's really interesting to think about the time when, you know, I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. I didn't know all the pieces of it, but I knew it was mainly going to be about my relationship and my growth in relationships. And I remember perhaps it must have been, in, you know, either late 2019, it must have been late 2019, because it wasn't late 2020, that uh, I like did a version of it at a comedy club. And I remember it like it was fine. But I, I like comparing my memory of that version of it to like what it has become, you know, several years later. Uh, I like I feel Oh no, it was probably even 2018. It was 2018, late because I went to Edinburgh in 2018 with the hour that became AKA. So late 2018, I was like, well, that hour is like pretty close to done. So let me get this new one rolling. And I was like, oh, this this needs work. It needs more work. And now the work has has happened. You know, like Ramin Nazer, uh, one of my uh, a dear friend and uh, a wonderful artist, has a a piece of art that was like I just saw on Instagram years ago that it's like a little cartoon character throwing a clock at like a big, I don't know if it's like a city of, you know, just oddities. And it's basically a kind of a, you know, an inspirational message about art. And the, the caption is just throw time at it until it's a thing. And so I feel like that's a lot of what, you know, making art, making comedy is, is like you put in the time, and then at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, you're like, oh, wow, like I discovered something. I chipped away at something. I I found the thing that this is and now I'm polishing it. And oh, I just remembered I, I just remembered a thread that I didn't conclude uh, on a previous podcast, but uh, I'll, I'll share it here. Right. It's uh, that Rini, my wonderful girlfriend, coined the term uh, for what I do in my comedy. Uh, uh, sometimes I'm in the blooming phase where just more and more ideas are coming. And then sometimes I'm in the pruning phase, which is when it's coming together and be like, okay, what is the final product going to be? Right. And so I feel like I am now in the pruning phase of this hour that, that I'm bringing to Edinburgh. And like, I will hope to like share it as widely as possible. I've been touring with it, you know, for the past couple of years and I've, and getting it into its sort of, you know, final shape. Edinburgh is something that when I was there last time, like really helped, you know, just doing the show basically 25 days in a row, uh, really helps get it into shape and, you know, uh, edit out what isn't necessary and like strengthen what is there. And so that's what my, my hope to do there is to really just, you know, showcase what I have and also like get it into its near final form that I can bring back or bring around the world or and then eventually record 
so that you know all of the all the all of the everyone can see it right uh and not just the people that are in the room uh though i'm happy to go to every room possible but yeah i just uh i love i love having uh sort of another dichotomy like having a thing that's as close to done as possible that i can showcase and be like look the the sum total of maybe five years of work and then also have like an hour that's just forming like you know like another analogy is like i don't know you ever if you ever seen glass blowing my summer camp had glass blowing that you start by like getting this uh it's molten it's you know 2000 degree or something glass that's liquid and you wrap it around a, a pole and you have to keep spinning it because otherwise it'll drip to the ground because it's a liquid a right. super hot liquid and then eventually you you form it into the shape that you want and you blow it and you use these you know tools to maybe flatten the bottom or whatever you want to do add a handle get put colors into it and i feel like that's what's like a new hour of comedy starts as like an amorphous you know uh glass like liquid at that time that eventually you know becomes shaped into something so i always like having a done one and uh you know an an uh, not yet done one an undone one uh and so yeah so i'm really i'm excited to share uh this edinburgh show with the world and uh excited excited for the next several hours that are already sort of you know percolating as well I think thematically what's sort of exciting is the idea that um, given all that we're talking about, that this current hour, your latest hour is called imperfect. Um, And I think, yeah, yeah, I mean, to be perfect, I don't think is to be human in the sense that uh, I, I, maybe I even said this to you at one point Um, studies have shown that like, people can always sense a drum machine or like can tell when it's a machine because mm. it's so perfect that it sounds inhuman when an actual drummer drumming is always a few milliseconds off, but it, there's something pleasing about that. And I think that um, perfection in human terms is being imperfect. And that's why AI will never be human. Oh yeah. I, that sounds familiar to me. So maybe you did tell me that once, but I'm glad to hear it again. And it, it kind of, you know, it reminds me, it evokes the uncanny valley, you know, that like, which it isn't exact, an exact parallel because my understanding of the uncanny valley is if we look at a photo of a person, like we're like, that's a person. If we look at it like a cartoon of a person or like claymation or something that's clearly not a person, we're like, that's not a person. We're cool with both of those. But if it's too close uh, to perfection, but not, then we're like, eee, ah, that, that looks spooky creepy weird uh but yeah i i love that idea i wonder i wonder if anyone is like in the electronic music field utilizing that and going in and shifting like a perfect drum machine beat by milliseconds to get that human feel to it right i i i would wonder the same thing but i've even know like i mean this is just from my personal experience in I, like having studied sound editing and mixing in college, you know, you can even get like recorded room tone or wild sound just to give sort of the presence of a, if you're trying to auto like through audio re- recreate. Oh yeah, experience of a room. If it's looped, you eventually will hear it being looped, even though it's all real sound. 
Yes. Because it repeats. You're right. Uh, also, do you want to hear a weird chat GPT comedy story? Absolutely. So I may start telling this on stage if I get permission for it, but I think that I have enough permission to share it here. Uh, so chat GPT, I haven't really engaged with it a ton, but I have some right. friends who have. Right. And a friend of mine was like, I, I asked chat GPT to give me a joke in the style of Mitch Hedberg, and it gave me a Dimitri Martin joke. <laughs> and and th so that's funny to begin with. And then a, another friend of mine told me that they asked it to give them a Mike Kaplan style joke. And the joke that they gave was something like, I just came up with a new word plagiarism and i'm like that's good and i've written jokes like that like about plagiarism that are like fun and play in that space but here's the thing is almost that exact joke almost that exact wording was tweeted to me by a fan of mine who said my child came up with this joke i just invented a word plagiarism and i'm like if it's possible that chat gpt like explored the internet and found that someone had tweeted to me a joke about plagiarism and then they are like oh yeah that's a joke like i'm like there's so many like i can't untangle myself from it except for the fact that somebody just reminded me chat gpt hasn't been like all their information came from a few years ago that they're not getting new information right now so the tweet that was sent to me which was more recent i'm like they just accidentally did the i feel like chat gpt almost accidentally plagiarized a joke of mine almost a joke of almost mine about plagiarism and <laughs> yeah and therein lies, you know, there are some comedians, and you probably know, uh, that are worried about the implications of chat GPT, perhaps, quote unquote, taking their jobs. But yeah. I mean, it's, it is all based off of information that already exists in a way where kind of like that scene in the first Matrix, where Neo learns that um, the machines have to obey the rules and humans in that in inside the matrix yeah. don't the same applies to cut we you don't have to base any of your of your jokes off of just the information available on the internet you can be completely absurdist and um, illogical which is a, a, a human component that I don't think can be programmed. Oh yeah, I I'm on your side and I I'm hopeful and optimistic that I can keep doing what I do and that robots will not be able to learn it. And uh but I am going to put that joke on a new album that I might call Word Plagiarism. Right. You did say something earlier that I thought would be a fun title, although it, it isn't so much wordplay. I think you said something to the effect of sorry for all that extra fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That I, that is fun. Uh, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, You're welcome. yeah. I I always appreciate uh, your you know thoughtful conversation, and uh, it's uh, a pleasure to see you. And thank you for having me come on to uh, to talk. Absolutely, Mike. Anytime. Um, with all of that in mind, where can people find you? And is there anything else you would like to promote? Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, so Mike Kaplan spelled the weird way I spell it. 
M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N. If you put that into wherever your internet you want to find me, you'll get my albums, including the one from this week, Live In Between Albums, a.k.a. from 2020, and uh, at least five-ish others. Uh, and then my podcast is called Broccoli and Ice Cream, and I have another one called The Faucet. Uh, if you're in Edinburgh or know people in Edinburgh, come see my show there. Look at my website for tour dates. And I also do have, other than obviously social media is a great place to find me, engage with me, uh, reach out to me, say hello. And I do have a newsletter that I send out every week that has, uh, I send a few jokes and uh, fun thoughts and sometimes more, sometimes longer, more meaningful things. And you, it's every week for free and you can subscribe for more than that. Uh, and that's all at mikekaplan.substack.com. So yeah, live in between albums and my Substack and my social media are probably the, the best things, the most recent ways to keep up with what I'm up to uh, these days. Wonderful. Please follow all those. Uh, we'll put those in the show notes for sure. Uh, I'm Jake Kroger. I create the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com at the Comedy Bureau across socials. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Not the Supermarket and on Twitter at MFJ Kroger. So many great causes to support this time. So I'd ask that you please support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau so it can keep going. And I don't know, it covers LA and New York right now. Maybe it could cover other cities if I had money to pay myself <laughs> and other people that would be, nece be necessary to do so because i sleep very little um <laughs> as with that all said do you have anything to uh, add as we sign off here mike uh thank you for asking you've been very thorough i will add only these last two things number one i i'm on uh, I'm an act. I'm a voice actor in another podcast called Intra Quest, featuring voices of other comedians, including Mike Leibovitz and Matthew Broussard, that I recommend listening to as well. We had a lot of fun doing that, and uh, I always want people to know about that. And number two is, I believe it's not pronounced the Comedy Bureau. I believe it's Tay Comedy Bureau. Yes, Tay Comedy Bureau. Love that comedy is happening. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Corneo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.